Well, hello, and welcome to the Growth Mindset Podcast. Join me, Sam Harris, on my journey of curiosity and growth. I have conversations with some of the world's most fascinating humans, from billionaires to Olympians, and most everyone in between, such as suspiciously happy people and even a hitman. Success isn't just for successful people, it is earned and you can earn it too. I find out how ordinary people become extraordinary to fuel your own growth mindset. I will confidently introduce my guest, Rosie Holloway. She's a musician and she's releasing a single and she has some very good Instagram videos of herself and I'd rather impress us. Oh my God. <laughs> Great voice. And I'm excited to have you here because I quite like not knowing too much about people when I interview them and sort of really exploring like where my mind goes when I'm kind of let a bit loose just to sort of ask some questions. And I've always wanted to do more music and see how people get there. And one of the things I really love about my podcast is talking to people who are like in the process of making it rather than people who have just got there because of the stories we tell ourselves once we're there are quite different to the stories we tell ourselves as we're doing it. I think it's useful for people to hear what you have to do to actually do it as you're doing it rather than just sort of in hindsight, oh, I did this. Yeah. I'm happy to have you here. <laughs> so lots to go into. Just as sort of by way of introduction, can you kind of summarize maybe in two minutes or three minutes, like your life story? I was born in the early 90s and my father was a musician. He had a record deal with EMI and he was very, very talented, <laughs> but he was also alcoholic. So that was quite chaotic. And I grew up in a very chaotic environment lots of trauma, lots of abuse, but I had this gift with my music. So I would spend sort of all of my time really hold up on my own in my room, sort of singing. And I played instruments from a really early age. I played the guitar, the piano and the violin. And I just remember I'd be left on my own quite a lot and I'd just kind of sit there and sing and play the guitar and I'd almost wail. And it was kind of a trauma release for me. It's just definitely my hugest emotional connection in my life will always be my music and it's just been the one thing that stayed with me and I've always known that it's what I'm gonna do a hundred percent and yeah we managed to escape me my mum and my sister when I was seven and we were rehoused by the council and from there I had a pretty crazy teenage years of my life were pretty nuts I went to six different secondary schools because I kept getting expelled and I left school at 15 and started working in hairdressing salons, sweeping to earn money. And then when I was 18, I started working in bars. And then from there, I've just slowly built my network and I've been around the festival circuit. I've had the pleasure of playing Glastonbury one year. I had a residency at Ronnie Scott's for a while. And I've basically just built my own family and my own life. And, you know, I've got my own flat now. I was actually homeless for a while. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been pretty insane. And I'm only 26 years old. Old and I can't wait to see what the rest of life brings me really so yeah cool so I guess the first thing would be when you're growing up having like abuse and things but that might not be like the most comfortable thing to talk about I mean it's okay it is what it is and I think it's a part of life and I think some people aren't going to get it but that's because they haven't been through it which I completely empathize and understand with so understand with, I completely understand and empathize with. Yeah. yeah. But people who have been through it, 
it's helpful for them to hear it because it's validating their experience. Can you sort of explain what sort of thoughts were going on in your head and how it maybe impacted you, what you've learned? And like, do you really say it's made you stronger in some ways? It's definitely made me stronger. It's made me have more of a depth of character and it's made me understand that person in the street that's falling about drunk. I completely understand how that happens to people. I heard this expression the other day and it was, let it ruin your lunch, but don't let it ruin your dinner. So being positive isn't about just sort of suppressing everything and saying, oh, oh, it's fine, it's fine. Oh yeah, you, you, beat, you beat the crap out of me, that's fine. No, that's totally not okay. Go into the depths of that uncomfortable emotion and feeling and feel it and, you know, don't suppress it. Go for a run, scream into your pillow, call up a mate, do what you've got to do, but don't let it ruin your dinner. Perhaps when you see people who are really down and destitute and sort of out on the streets and stuff, things have overwhelmed them and, and it's just gone too far that way, if that makes sense. The best revenge is a life well lived. I love that expression. I say it like that because I'm like, that's how I want to word it. It's not always that easy though, but I completely 100% agree. It's like if you think of like going to the gym and working out, you can create new neuropathways in your brain, even with things like addiction and stuff. Obviously, I'm a big advocate for Alcoholics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous. I think it saves so many people's lives. But, you know, at the same time, the brain is so powerful and you can actually overcome basically almost everything if you want to. And that isn't coming from somebody who's had a really sheltered life and doesn't really know what real adversity is. This is coming from somebody who literally had nothing at points in my life and it's always possible to pull yourself out of it yeah I guess I haven't had life be really harsh to me as such as I've gone out and made my life difficult for myself because I maybe was too sheltered in other ways a bit of a flaw but I think it it teaches you so much interesting is there anything else you want to like unpack quickly on this area just going off of what you're saying there's like the scarcity mindset and the abundance mindset I've had people say to me you better hurry up and make your music work you're not getting any younger or this might be the last chance you get like a couple of years ago there was a really big buzz around me and I had a few different labels interested and my partner at the time said to me I'll go for this now because you won't get this again and actually that's like bullshit because that's being in the scarcity mindset or if you go on a date with someone and you're not really well suited to each other but you're like I better go for this because there might not be anyone else interested in me have an abundance mindset there's always more out there especially as a creative as well if you're trying to start up your own business and become like a creative entrepreneur it's just about believing in yourself and just keep going and abundance mindset is huge definitely yeah that's pretty good this is the Mindsets podcast and doing dating things. And I definitely think people do kind of feel they have this sort of window where they can do things. And there's sort of two ways. As in one, you can kind of think you've always got second chances, but sometimes you do only have one chance and like the chance is going by. So you should always try and take the chance when it's there if you think it's something you want to do. There are ways that similar things can come along. And certainly when you're being creative as an artist, you might feel that like it has to be done. People can become famous when they're older. And I think it's kind of quite damaging when you do these things quite young as well. Well, I think everybody's journey is different. So, you know, for some people, they were ready from 16, 17, 18, and that's great. Billie Eilish, she's like 17 now. I think she started releasing music at 15. She's so ready for it, 100%, but that's her journey. Everybody's journey is different. Then you've got Debbie Harry, Blondie, she was 34. 
But you don't look at her, you don't look at pictures of her and think, oh my God, she's so old. People look at pictures of her and they're like, oh my God, she's a sex goddess. Like, she's so hot. So like, I mean, not that it should even be about what you look like. And that's crazy that that's the first thing that I thought of. But that is the world we live in. I think we are starting to move away from it. Everybody's journey is different. Like, I definitely wasn't ready a few years ago I've had to do so much work on myself since then and I had a lot of a lot of issues going on at the time I had basically on and off diagnosed with strong traits of borderline personality disorder which is essentially complex post-traumatic stress disorder in my opinion so due to all of the trauma that I experienced in my childhood and then growing up to repeat those relational patterns because it was what I knew and then getting myself into further extremely dangerous and damaging situations all of this accumulated to this incredibly vulnerable young girl and I fell apart I did get given a publishing deal I got given some money and then everything in my life kind of fell apart my dad got found dead in his flat from alcoholism and all of these things happened and like everything and that brought so many things to light um other things in my family lots of you know dark and twisted stuff and I just fell apart and that was at the time when I sort of became homeless because I just stopped working I just broke and I needed that time to just be in this high support place and do nothing and process actually what the fuck had happened to me my whole life and it was just really interesting because I was in this homeless hostel with this Gretsch which is a guitar that costs a grand and a half that had been gifted to me by my label but I'm in a homeless hostel it was just fucking insane and even if I sold that you know it would have been enough to make my rent like if I got a room or whatever it would have given me two months or a month with deposit so the polarities that have gone on in my life are just absolutely insane so I wasn't ready and now I'm putting out my single first single on the 19th of February you're never really ready you just have to do but now I know I'm in a place where I'm strong enough I've got a good support network around me, like my life is in a good place, I've got a safe place to live. I'm 26 and this is my time. So everyone's journey is different. Yeah, yeah. You said you're talking about music and your like emotional connection to them. I definitely have always found that when anything sad or something happens, it's really nice to write music about it. But I just find that when I sort of do that, it kind of gives you closure on the bad thing that's happened. You sort of put it somewhere, so it's always like in a box that you can remember, you can play that song and you feel that way. And it's nice that it's there, but you also don't have to keep it with you and feel like you need to sort of like process these thoughts anymore. It's sort of like, it gives me closure on it. So I don't know if that's how you, do you write music in that way? Or was, was it just sort of you crying a lot whilst playing guitar? I don't know. Uh, a lot of my art comes from rage. So I can get quite angry. And that's sort of a trait of BPD is like overly intense emotions. So if I perceive that somebody has wronged me, for example, when I first moved into my flat, my neighbors were a couple and they just moved in and then the guy when his girlfriend was at work came on to me and that made me so angry for so many different reasons not to him but on my own I was like he's got a girlfriend that's so out of order for her I'm really angry for her and also it made me angry for me like he's so entitled and presumptuous he just thinks oh look here's a girl that lives on her own so I was just like walking around my room like and I was like oh there's my guitar and then I get my guitar and then I'm like bam and yeah so I'm, I'm actually 
just getting to the point now where I'm sort of because it has to become more of a habit so now I have writing sessions life is such a wide spectrum and I, I essentially want to create music that connects to all the different emotions that humans feel and what it is to be human and I want to put that out and for other people to know that that's okay and I don't want to be pretentious and false like I want to just be real and I want people to connect to that and to feel it and so my natural reaction is I write went from rage but I'm now cultivating writing I teach music as well so I'm self-employed musician so I teach music and I record and I songwrite and anyone who's a musician and they do it full-time they'll know what I mean you you end up doing so many different things when I'm teaching that that it's just part of my nature that comes out of me there as well you know I'm that teacher that I'll be like, what's going on, mate? Why are you playing up today? And, you know, the kid will be like, school wasn't good today. And then I'll be like, talk to me about it. And then I'll have them writing a song about, you know, I'll give them some basic chords. And then, you know, just obviously they're a little kid. So it'll be like, teacher was rude or whatever it is. But it's like, that's kind of just who I am. So it is authentic. It is just, I can't really be anything else. Okay. How did you start getting the confidence to share your music? Did that come very naturally to you? I'm like an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert. I quite like attention when I do really like to share my music with people, but only when it feels right. Like I've been in so many situations where someone's been like, well, give us a song then. And I'm just like, no, I'm not doing it. I can tell if someone's genuinely asking me and they're like a good person and they're going to really enjoy it. Interesting. Right. So we did also talk about maybe going into like, Feminism. Yeah. I've been trying to get much better at this. I started reading some things and I've concluded that I am a massive feminist. What do you think has been like the hardest thing for you as a woman then? Oh, where shall I start? Walking home at night and somebody walking behind me or even across the road or whatever and just getting this creeping feeling of if they did something to me now, there's nothing I can do. I actually get emotional about it because I'm a victim of domestic violence a few times and I'm not saying that I'm innocent and I come from a certain situation in my childhood which has enabled me in the past to end up in quite toxic situations but suffice to say I've been the victim of domestic violence and the last time it happened I actually was brave enough to go to the police about it and they didn't do anything. He was wanted for two months and I was scared and he sent me threats and I actually had to be moved to a different hostel because he knew where I lived. And they found him eventually. They kept him in a cell overnight. He gave an interview and he sat there and he said, she's making it all up. She hit me first. It was a fight between two people. And basically they let him go and it went up to the Crown Prosecution Service to be investigated. And they said, we're not taking this to court. Sounds like it was a fight between two people. It's like this is a six foot six man who has a previous record of domestic violence, who's been to prison for it before. My statement that I gave completely matches the statement of the girl he's previously done it to. And I turned up with cuts and bruises that they have like physical evidence of in photograph. And they've interviewed him and he's managed to manipulate his way out of it. And Charles them and say oh well you know she's crazy she's nuts look at the text she sent me rah 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 and he walked free and it's like that is the world we live in and I think due to the police cuts in this country 
because of the Tory government, it's made it far worse. Like, I remember when my case was going on, they were like, we'll call you back tomorrow. A week later, I hadn't heard anything. I'd call them back. Is there an update on the case? And then it became, oh, well, there's been a stabbing in Brixton. So we're really thin on the ground at the moment. So we've had to put all our police into dealing with that. So, you know, because of the cuts that have gone on, there's not even like the adequate staffing needed to like deal with these things. So that is quite scary as a woman, because when's it going to end? It starts to become bandit country, because also like the therapy that I needed because of situations I've been through, the way I've had to fight and scrimp to get that therapy, you know, I could have really easily fallen through the net. And that's why I do think people end up homeless and things like that. And it's only because I'm so tenacious and I've got such a fighting spirit that I've managed to get the things that I've got. But it is quite scary to think a man could overpower me right now. And even if I have the courage to go to the police about it, nothing's going to happen. So then we're relying on morals and the goodwill of people, but not everyone is good. I know I've done bad things too, you know, but like go into therapy, admit your wrongs. But some people can't. Some people are just absolutely incapable of doing that. It's really sad for them. Just help yourself and then the right people attract to you. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to be like for people to see like the real you. Anyway, then sexuality also, we're going to talk about that. So you said you're bisexual. Did that come straight away naturally? Did you sort of think about it and like sort of almost force yourself a bit to sort of try these things? So I come from a deeply homophobic family, just very critical and judgmental of everything, really. That's the sort of family I come from. I always knew, really, from like from first day of secondary school, there was a girl. And I really wanted to be her friend. And I remember thinking that I was really admiring her hair and her skin colour. And she found me a bit weird and didn't really want to be my friend. So she probably like got the feeling. But that was all really quite innocent. But my first sexual experience was with a girl. I was never that girl that would just kiss a girl at a party so that the boys can see it. I was always so against that. And I'm that typical person that's like fallen for her best friend. And then her best friend has been like, but I'm straight. And I've been like, oh, it's okay. Friendship is the is the most important thing. It's fine, you know. While I'm like secretly dying inside, because I'm like, I really thought I thought that there was something there, but there wasn't. <laughs> do you write a song about it? Uh, I do want to write a song about being by. Yeah, I've got like a catchphrase on my thing, which says "Lily's fit," and I'm gonna turn that into a song but I might change the name did you find it hard coming out then I didn't really come out it just is what it is I know that I like both sexes my friends know some of them they've taken I think being bisexual is kind of like the last taboo in some ways like people don't really accept it and I get that as well because society norms are more geared towards like straight relationships I find myself pursuing relationships with men not pursuing but like I go down that route more I would I would fully do IVF and all of those things if it was right like a hundred percent I've got a couple of friends and they're together and they you know and it's amazing and it's inspiring to see that and they're so happy and they're you know two women And I think there's a lot of beauty in that. I know that I can't suppress it and ignore it because I've been in relationships with men. And then, you know, I've walked into a bar to get a coffee in the middle of the day when I've got a spare half an hour or something. And the woman that's come to serve me, I've been talking to her normally. And then after like five minutes, I've just got that feeling inside me of, oh, I fancy her. Oh, my God, I'm attracted to her. And then I'm thinking... Oh my God, I really am bi. Even when I'm in a heterosexual relationship, uh, like sexual attraction is sexual attraction. It doesn't ever go away. It's really cool, really. And it's been something that I've had to, because, you know, my mum was like, when I tried to tell her, she was like, it's okay, you'll go through this phase and that's fine. And it's like, actually, no, fuck you. It's not a phase. Like whether I marry a, a woman or a man, 
I will always be attracted to both genders and that's why there's these t-shirts out that I want to get one but I don't want to be like really I don't know like uh, they say bye till I die yeah interesting is there anything that you've been really curious about and like following it was actually really useful for you like anything that sort of intrigued you a bit I love psychedelics like, I don't partake in them often, but they've definitely been quite a big part of my healing journey and spiritual journey. On a day when the sun's out at, like, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, me and my friends, we used to have these bikes, like, these upright sort of 70s bikes, and we would all drop acid at the same time when we'd packed our backpack. We'd already have our bikes. I'd have my guitar on my back. We'd have big baskets. We'd have beers. Uh, picnic packed we'd have all the cigarettes we'd need loads of water like everything we'd need basically and we'd jump on these bikes together and we'd ride through richmond park and as we're riding we'd start to come up and it was just insane we wouldn't take too much we'd take like just the right amount and we'd start to come up and we'd be looking around at everything's like getting like a glimmer to it and and we'd always just start laughing and we'd like we'd drive we'd like end up riding quite far out of London and then we'd end up sort of falling in a heap together with our bikes and our picnic blanket and our picnic and our beers and our water and my guitar and just have like the best fucking times that sounds incredible (laughs) if you're ever going to do that again by the way I'm totally open yeah oh that sounds like so much fun But what about, like, your drug addictions? I was, like, 14 years old. Me and my mum had had a really fucking shit night. I think she maybe, like, chucked me out or called the police on me or whatever she used to do at that time. And I was in a block, you know, some people, um, and we were drinking and smoking weed, and then someone pulled out some coke and offered me a line. And I just took it, and it just made me feel warm. It just made me feel good. And then wasn't really a big, didn't play a big part in my life. But if it came out, I would do it. But, you know, it wasn't part of my reality. It wasn't something I could afford. It wasn't something that, it wasn't, that neuro pathway hadn't been created yet. So like, oh, what do I do? I feel sad. Oh, let's do something. No, very heavily at that time. And that was my main sort of thing. And then when I got older, it just sort of developed really from like my late teens slowly slowly up until the point when I was 23 and I had this publishing deal and I had this money in my bank account and you know I was in very toxic situations at home toxic relationship with a boyfriend as well like just everything was toxic and you know I was around people who were doing it a lot and just before you knew it it was just this combination of everything just accumulated to create this perfect scenario petri dish for me to just be doing it every day you know or like I was a binger so I'd like binge use for like two three days in a row I'd stay up like hunting for more and more and more like I'd go to one party it would finish they'd go to bed I'd call up my other mate over in that house who I knew would be you know just be starting and then I'd go over there and then I'd be doing it with him and then I'd end up on on my drug dealer's floor doing it in my drug dealer's house and then you know and I'd just keep going and going I had this like insatiable appetite to just keep going I just wanted more and more because if I left it too long all of my life would start coming flooding back like what was happening at home how my mum was treating me like the fact my dad had just died my boyfriend had done to me how he abused me all these things would start coming back and I can remember like one of the last times I ever really did cocaine like that I was literally like climbing the walls of my drug dealer's house like "Ah, I need more get me more 
got money. And he's like, I can't get you more. Like, you run everyone dry and no one's got any more. And like, just that horror of everything that I was trying so desperately to run away from. And like, I'm not blaming it all on other people. Like, I had a lot of really you sort of quite twisted through. I was very critical of others, very critical of myself. So I was running away from that as well. I developed this sort of mindset that wasn't a growth mindset. <laughs> Thanks. That's really deep and um, personal level of sharing. Can you quickly talk about the kindest thing that someone has ever done for you? My, my singing teacher, Carol. Carol Hall. I've actually got a card in my bag for her that I'm writing that I need to finish writing and send off because she was like a positive adult like figure for me growing up she always had my back she would give me free lessons because she knew I came from a family that didn't have a lot of money and she got me through all of my grades with distinctions and she was never mean to me so she taught me the most valuable lesson and it's obviously as I'm getting older, I'm realising it more and more. But she taught me the most valuable lesson I'll ever learn in my whole life, which is you don't need to be horrible and critical to somebody to squeeze greatness out of them. You can be loving with somebody and kind and they can still get great results. And her message is something that I try and pass on to my students today. And yeah, I, w I would say her really, just being in my life and just being like an anchor for me in, in what was an incredibly chaotic upbringing. So, yeah, Carol, Carol Hall, shout out Carol Hall. <laughs> also, a nice positive note to end on. There's lots awesome of people around there in the world. And you can be awesome too. You just do random acts of kindness and things. Cool. And have an abundance mindset and don't let things get to you. And... Well, let them get to you and sit with it for a bit and then move on. Yes. Be motivated by it. Yeah, lovely talking to you. And... Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, be happy to keep in touch and things. Nice. Congratulations on listening to a whole episode of the Growth Mindset Podcast. Before you race into another podcast, try pausing. Ask yourself, what have you learned? What could you change? How will you make that change happen? Did you press pause? Knowledge is useless without action. What did you learn? What should you change? And how will you make that change happen? You can tell us what you learned by contacting us through the website, growthmindsetpodcast.com. And feel free to connect with us or our guests, or just peruse the show notes. Our Instagram is at growthmindsetpodcast, or follow me at samjamsnaps for a daily reminder to stop using Instagram. If you enjoy random acts of kindness and want to support the show, you can support us on Patreon or leave us a review on iTunes, and you'll make me very happy. And with that, keep learning and keep growing.